Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? My keyboard. You're typing? Well, I'm getting ready to listen to a podcast. Do you like podcasts about scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite podcast about scary movies? Um, Now Playing. You know, the one hosted by Stuart, Arnie, and Marjorie who watch and review all movies in a series? Is that the one that's now reviewing the entire Scream movie series? Yeah, with the ghost face killer. I haven't seen that movie. The podcast has spoilers and harsh language, so you should watch the movie before you listen. Okay. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? Because I want to know who I'm looking at. Today we're discussing Scream 4, starring David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, and directed by Wes Craven. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA. And I'm Marjorie. And here we are, after the last film, which was supposed to be the last film. It was the last of the trilogy, but now it's a quadrilogy? Or is this a new trilogy? I don't know. It depends on how their careers go. Yeah, I, th- I think that depends on the box office also this week. But there's a huge movie. Rio. Yeah, which may kill, literally, Scream's box office. <laughs> a little blue bird will do something that Ghostface cannot do. <laughs> but one thing I hadn't even thought of till I went to the theater today and realized Rio was in 3D and Scream is not. And I'm kind of glad. I have to say my initial thought is this fits very well stylistically and every other way with the other Scream films. And had they gone 3D, and I'm not quite sure why they didn't, but had they, it would have really stuck out like a sore thumb. No pun intended with the sticking out. They may still incorporate that for later. I feel like they were squirreling away a few ideas for future sequels, because honestly, what could they do after this? That's what I left this theater wondering. I mean, this really just feels like a one-off to me. If they had originally done what they had talked about, which is going to make a tightly woven Scream 4, 5, and 6 as a new trilogy... I would not know how the story could progress <laughs> from here. It, but yeah, so I guess you make one 3D and one, what, smell vision I don't know. Scratch and sniff? But Stuart, they can make five and six after four because this movie follows the pattern of all of the others where the killer, you're like, huh? Because they're not interrelated. And I feel so bad for Sydney because I don't think she's safe anywhere. I love that Sydney talks in depth about the way she overcomes her darkness is through her family. I'm like, actually, aren't those always the people trying to kill you? In the end, maybe you ought to get away from your family. Maybe you may need to go to Beirut, you know, just somewhere totally new. Yeah, I guess it'd be Ghostface with a hajib on or something in the Middle East. <laughs> I think you have a new, an idea worth making. Yeah, Don't, see? Wes, are you listening? Do you like scary movies? Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, who wants to apologize to any of our foreign listeners? I'll, I'll do that right away. I suddenly have a moss <laughs> on my enemy list. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> 
So I got to ask, how was the crowd? I went and saw this movie opening night in L.A., an early evening show. And I got to say, not a whole lot of people there. Ours was a mid-crowd. We saw it on Saturday afternoon. We always like to see horror movies, even if it looks like a really shitty horror movie. Even The Hills Have Eyes 2. Mm-hmm. We go opening night because we love opening night horror yeah. movie And the crowd. But we kind of got hit by some tornadic weather and <laughs> golf ball-sized hail. Two hour and 15 minute tornado warning. Wow. Yeah. Did you like go duck and go under the basement and all of that kind of stuff? No, we took pictures from the deck. <laughs> Hey, how are we ever going to become famous if we don't injure ourselves on the internet? I can totally appreciate that, and this movie would endorse that such behavior. But no, we didn't get a chance to see it Friday night, although I don't think anybody else did either, because our entire area had kind of ducked and covered. But we did see it Saturday afternoon. The theater was completely packed with families going to see Rio. (laughs) Yeah, I got that sense, too, that this was not the draw of the weekend, that it really felt like it was an enthusiastic crowd. People we definitely made noise and they screamed and talked and did all sorts of things that sometimes annoy me in movie theaters. (laughs) They were active. They were participatory. But I would say I was surprised at how only maybe a third of the seats were filled for opening night for Scream that's been 11 years. I wouldn't say the audience has been building for this. It feels like maybe Scream's been forgotten. It was actually in the smaller theaters at our big multiplex and it was... Would you say about half full? I'd say about that. Although, again, as I've said many, many times on Now Playing, we're in the Midwest. There was no screaming. There was no talking. There was no tittering. We sat in silence like a bunch of Puritans in our smocks and watched the screen. (laughs) Wow, you will definitely have to come to my hood then and have a different experience because I could have been seeing Driving Miss Daisy too and people would have been screaming for Morgan to, to take Jessica Tandy's corpse to the funeral. Well, and it's also worth noting that while it was showing on two screens successively, it was only showing at one theater in town. And usually they open one on the west side and one on the east side. Didn't get the east side opening this time with Scream. Usually they do that with horror movies. Yeah, I think the Weinsteins know that it's a long road to build back, that it's going to be a smaller opening, that Rio's going to win. Will this movie have legs? That's the real question is good word of mouth. People have have had a week to watch it. Are they going to be watching it this weekend? Or is it going to live or die in the first three days and then disappear like so many movies these days? I don't know. It's a curious phenomenon. But I honestly got to say, I was a little disappointed at the crowd. I thought that I was seeing more of an event movie than apparently. I was. Well, we know everyone listening has already probably seen it at this point. You know, it has been seven days since it's open. So I don't think we're going to spoil anything if we tell them the plot. But warning, if you listen any further and you haven't seen this movie, again, major spoilers. And not just we're going to tell you some things. These movies are all whodunits. And going in knowing whodunit, not the same experience. If you haven't seen Scream 4 and you ever plan on seeing Scream 4, if you're even thinking of maybe seeing Scream 4, hit stop now, go see Scream 4, because in about five minutes, it's over. I think they're going to be okay. Give them the plot summary. It's the anniversary of the Woodsboro murders portrayed in the first Scream movie, and Nev Campbell's Sydney Prescott has finally come out of her shell. Gone is the Patrick Dempsey cop from the last movie, but after all the Gail Weathers books written about her, Sydney has decided to take charge of her own image and written a book about not being a victim. As the final stop in Sydney's book tour, her publicist has her returning to Woodsboro on the anniversary of the first murders, but despite 
despite being back home, Sydney's reunion with her aunt Kate, played by Mary McDonnell, and cousin Jill, played by Emma Roberts, is less than warm, and Sydney doesn't meet up with fellow survivors Dewey and Gail at all. Dewey and Gail are now married and living in Woodsboro. Dewey's now the sheriff, and Gail gave up her journalism career for a failed career as a fiction writer. But shortly after Sydney's return, Ghostface returns as well, and the murders start up again. First killing two classmates of Jill's in the opening scene, then killing Jill's next-door neighbor. And Dewey tries to capture the killer, along with Comely Deputy Judy Hicks, who seems to be tempting Dewey to stray from his 10-year marriage with her tasty lemon bars. If that's what the kids are calling them nowadays. And Gail uses the murders as a chance to return to her former glory, giving up fiction in a heartbeat to team up with cinema club geeks Robbie and Charlie to find the murderer or murderers. As the body count rises, we're left to wonder who is the killer. Is it Jill's cheating ex-boyfriend Trevor? Gay blogging cinema club president Robbie or vice president Charlie? Geek girl Kirby played by heroes Hayden Panettiere? Well, the answer is it's Jill herself, jealous of Sydney's fame and wanting some of her own. She teamed up with her secret lover, Charlie, to commit the murders and planning to be the wounded survivor, just like Stu and Billy in the first film. Jill says that to be famous, you have to have fucked up shit happen to you. And she even killed her own mother so her story could be seen as sympathetic as Sydney's. Stabbing Sydney in the gut. And then she turns on partner Charlie, killing him when she's supposed to be fake wounding him. Jill wounds herself repeatedly, and Dewey shows up finding Jill the seeming sole survivor of Trevor and Charlie's murderous rampage. But Sydney's single stab wound was not enough to kill the seasoned survivor, and so when Jill wakes up in the hospital to hear Sydney is still alive, she goes in for the kill once again. Dewey and Gail try to stop her, and in the end, Sydney takes out her cousin by putting defibrillator pads to her temples before shooting her in the chest. So that was Scream 4, but let's start, as we always do with the Scream films, with our opening kill scene. Or Wait, which case, one? Yeah, there were three. What'd you think of that? Is it too Pomo that they had to do a, what is it? I guess it's Stab 6 inside of Stab 7, which is, of course, inside the movie we're watching, Scream 4. Yes, yeah, so that's a movie in a movie in a movie. Yep. In yeah. a movie theater. In a movie theater. Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, that's what they would have been doing in all of these the 11 years that it's taken between Scream 3 and Scream 4 is they would have just been cranking them out. I disagree. I think that, you know what they had the perfect chance to do here is, you know, one of the things that they talk about later in the movie that I'm sure we're going to get into is they say this is, you know, the rules of a reboot, right? But this isn't a reboot. We got Nev Campbell back as Sydney, Courtney Cox back as Gail. This is not a reboot at all. This is a revival. After it had been underground for a while, a revival, which has happened to so many. Halloween H2O, right? That's the revival. They really should have done the rules of a revival here and been Stab being revived while Scream was being revived. Or perhaps Stab 6 and 7 could have been, you know, the direct-to-video, like what happened to Hellraiser or something. I think that it's not necessarily true that they would have kept cranking them out because it's very possible once there were no real-world murders that they could base the Stab movies on that the audience would have fled to the newer franchise. No, no. This audience doesn't seem all that intelligent, to be honest. <laughs> the Stab audience. Are you talking about the Stab audience or the Scream audience, Marjorie? I'll let you make your own implications there, Stuart, because you apparently think I'm referring to something else. But I mean, the Stab audience, they don't seem all that bright. <laughs> Unlike our Scream audience, who we love. Yes, they're all Rhodes Scholars. We love their supportive fans here. At least the ones who listen to Now Playing are. Correct, because they know that we are going to tell them the straight dope about this. Straight dope? Um, well, you know what? I got to say, I knew the first one was a fake out. 
The movie begins with Trudy and Sherry, and I didn't know who these chicks were. My feeling is it had to be a celebrity that I would know. And I looked them up, and I guess they're on Pretty Little Liars and the new 90210, but I had no idea who these chicks were. So when they're talking about watching Saw 4 and deconstructing torture porn, I knew that eventually they were going to be revealed as a movie within a movie. I knew this wasn't our real opening. I didn't know because let's face it, we're old. And if Scream, the original came out today, we'd all three of us would be like Marjorie going, who the fuck are these people? Yes. You, you can feel that they are definitely pitching this to a new audience. They know that, you know, the old fans will probably come back. They don't, they don't need to drag out Fonzie for them. They're here to try and entice the new movie going generation. That said, quick aside, did you guys notice the bust of Principal Hembree in the high school? I did. I did. I wasn't sure if that was him, but I was like, I think that's a Fonzie. <laughs> it was hysterical. It I was didn't like see a, it. It was a giant Fonzie bust with like, a, he was old and had a waddle. But back to this kill, I felt like those two would be the victims because just because I don't know who they are. Listen, I don't watch the CW, okay? Smallville's ending. I'm done with the CW. Buffy's gone. I'm in my 30s. The CW is not for me. For all I know, these people are Jersey Shore folk. I don't know, but... But people would cheer the Jersey Shore kills. (laughs) Well, here's what I thought. I actually thought these chicks were a parody of the Kardashians because I'm semi-aware of who the Kardashians are. And for some reason, I feel like these chicks look and probably act like the Kardashians. So I figured they were doing a Kardashian joke I wasn't getting. Yeah, I just thought it was the opening kill. I mean, it's what Scream did. And when... The kill happened. At first, I was like, wow, they have immediately shown us at the very first scene that there's two killers. And I was impressed. And then I realized it was a movie in a movie. And I'm like, all right, you got me. I did not see this coming. And I kind of silently gave them a golf clap because it's the first time ever since, I guess, the original that the opening scene got me at all. No, I knew Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin were in this. I had read enough pre-material to know that they were the opening kills. So I was waiting for them to come into the picture. And I was not surprised when Stab 6 revealed itself and there they were sitting there. I did not know I was watching Stab 7. I can't say that. I did not anticipate what Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin when we're going to do. Yeah, but you kind of knew when you saw, and I hate to use this term, and I am using it rather loosely, stars of that caliber in the opening scene. You knew that they weren't actually in the movie as stars. You knew they were going to get it. But they could bend the Drew Barrymore again. Anna Paquin. They were. Right, but they weren't. But they were. But No, they weren't. They were not. They They were were only in it for like two minutes. This was... But it it was the opening kill. It was... It was no, it wasn't. It was it was a prelude to the yeah. opening kill. Yeah, I feel like the real opening kill is is one layer above this. This was really a way for Wes Craven to tell the cynical audience that is tired of his postmodernism to shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, it was very insulting to other horror genres and movie franchises. I thought. Yeah. Well, you want Anna Paquin to be shut up because she is so obnoxious in her disdain for the Stab series. It's I may have even agreed with her if I had to do a Stab have retrospective but she's so shrill here that you can hardly blame it when Kristen bell picks up the knife and stabs her in the gut yeah but in the 
first bit, Trudy and Sherry were going to watch Saw 4, and they were talking about how there were no characters you care about in Saw, just body parts. So in addition to Wes stabbing his own critics, he's also making pot shots at the horror that has come between Scream 3 and 4. Oh yeah, no, they call it out. They're like, aliens aren't scary, ghost girls aren't scary, torture porn, none of that's scary. It might be gory, it might be visually enticing, but truly the scariest thing you can do is present something that's realistic. A real killer with a real knife that could really get you. That's the argument that Kristen Bell makes before she, you know, unsheaths. I was really disappointed. I did not know anyone. I've intentionally kind of gone underground and not read any press about this ahead of time. I knew that Anna Paquin was in it. We're going to be seeing Anna Paquin again really soon, Stuart, hopefully more than we did in Scream when we do X-Men. But I was really disappointed when I saw her. I'm like, oh, she's not going to be in this more. I I like Anna Paquin. I like True Blood. I, I was kind of hoping we'd get more of her. And in fact, we get maybe 120 seconds of her on screen before she's stabbed. That was really Paquin interrupt us. I thought they were doing a lesbian joke. You know, every scream opens with a couple. I thought this is, oh, this is the couple. This is the new version of what a, of an average couple would be. It would be two chicks about to get it. And I, I thought that was great. I don't know if I totally resurfaced when we're pulled out of this episode and brought into the new layer with Marnie and Jenny. I was like, hmm, this is peculiar. How much further are we going to go down the spiral? Well, when they got me with Stab 6, they didn't get me with Stab 7. Because as soon as Kristen Bell pulled out the knife and there was no ghost face, there was no phone call, it was like, all right, this is another one. And boom, there comes Stab 7. The only thing that I was wondering is when we finally got to the next group, the next pairing of blondes, was I just in Stab 8 was my question. That's what I'm saying, is that it doesn't necessarily get me into the mood of what the next scene is going to be, even though I figured this was probably the real world. You know, we know at this point the way that Marnie's talking about not understanding what the real movie is, and we know we're in Woodsboro at this point because they're preparing for the 10-year anniversary. That's why they're watching the Stab movies. Uh, I guess I figured by the third set of chicks, I, I I knew I was in the real movie. I was in Scream 4 and not another stab. You know, when they were talking about not understanding that the beginning of Stab 7 is Stab 6 and all that, I honestly thought that was another pot shot at Saw, because anyone who's listened to our Saw retrospective series where Marjorie Jacob and I watched all the Saw films will know the convoluted timeline that takes place in those Saw films. And because they'd already called out Saw by name, when they were talking about timeline changes and movies inside movies, I thought it was a pot shot. Mm -hmm. No, it seems to be self-reflexive. I mean, what is Scream but a self-reflexive postmodern series and how much further can they keep looking at their own navel before they'll disappear inside of it? I mean, I think it's Kevin Williamson looking at the future sequels of, well, if I were to write this until a Scream 7, what could I possibly do to keep asking the movie within a movie within a movie kind of questions? I mean, it seems to be a series of doors leading nowhere if they keep going in this direction, which is, again, why I ask, could they really do another whole new trilogy? Could this really be the kickoff to a Scream 456? Well, we'll talk about that at the end. I will say, though, I like the fact that they did the fakeouts because I think this is Kevin Williamson acknowledging what we have on the podcast, which is after Drew, all these opening kills have kind of sucked. 
So we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it works as that, and it definitely works as catching up everyone up to speed on where horror is and what's happened in between where Scream was dominant and what overtook this throne in the last 10 years. I, I think it serves a lot of useful functions, and it's kind of funny. I don't know that it was particularly scary. Did you ever get worked up by any of these three? No. I thought the last one was actually kind of intense, where after Marnie's taken out and Jenny's running around, I kind of thought it was a callback to the intensity of the Drew one. I didn't think the Cotton Weary death or the theater deaths were particularly intense. I liked the gore and the brutality of the real opening death. I thought that it was throwing down the gauntlet. And was I scared? No. But I appreciated what they did, and I thought it was well done, and it was definitely intense. I just wanted to see where he was going to jump out from. Was he in the house? Was he outside the house? Was he going to... Just like he was on the phone, am I going to jump out the door? You know, I don't think it was necessarily suspenseful. You knew they were going to bite it. It was brutal. But I liked how I honestly thought she might escape because she's going out the garage door and falling down the stairs. Really? I really thought... Have you ever seen a horror movie? I thought they might be mixing it up and playing with expectations and imagine if she were to survive and be the person to alert them the murderer is back. Okay, but given the last three, do you think they could be that inventive? No. Yes, they were. They were invented by having the movie within a movie within a movie. I thought they could mix it up like this and still fuck with my expectation. I didn't know. I was a little disappointed with how it finally ended with him pulling her back into the garage and her laying there. I kind of thought they might do a callback to Drew and she might try to remove the mask and see who killed her. But I really thought it was the most intense kill since the first one. And I appreciated that. I do think this is probably the best opening. Well, you know what? I am a little partial to Liev Shriver in the last one. I I think that one actually worked a little better. But this one is a good one. It's a satisfying open. like, Like I said, it serves a lot of different purposes. I also thought it was kind of funny how he dropped the garage door on, down on her, just to, not because he knew it wouldn't kill her, but just because he had knifed her in the back and he just wanted to just just put salt in the wound just a little bit before he finished the job. I thought, ah, that's a nice touch. That's the kind of sadism, that's the kind of comedy that this series likes to weave in here. Is that what he was doing? I kind of thought, because after that, she stops moving her legs and I'm like, are they trying to tell us he broke her back? No, no, no. I think that we're supposed to think that and we're all going, oh, come on, that's not going to work. And of course, we're probably thinking about Rose McGowan if we've been watching all of the the movie series and how she got it in the pet door. But no, it's just that he knows that she's got a knife injury in his back and he just wants to press it. Just push her buttons before he finishes the job. I kept wondering if he had disabled the sensor in the garage door, if he had that much forethought, because if you even get the slightest a breeze hits it the wrong way on the new garage doors, it's going to go back up. You can't do that. That's because people kept getting crushed like this. No, I, I liked it, and it was definitely a way to immediately suck me into being back in the world of Scream. But yeah, I, I was thinking Rose McGowan and looking for the cat door. I thought the same thing. I did, and I wonder if they just try to get all their homages in to draw you in to the movie right off the bat. Hey, remember Drew? Remember Rose? Come on. Admittedly, that's not a bad thing to do versus, hey, remember we had... <laughs> well, you know, yes, this is all about getting back to the original, and they don't stop it with the opening. And This whole movie is about recreating the original, and uh, we can talk about how well that works. I guess maybe it's best now to just kind of run down who came back, who's left from the original. 
just our three are Luke, Leia, and Han of Scream, I guess. <laughs> First and foremost, Nev Campbell, Sidney Prescott. We've been a little hard on Nev Campbell uh, for the last couple of films, although I liked her in the original. I was happy to see that they were writing her that she was a more positive character this time, that she had sort of put away her demons. And writing a book, I always said that. She never should have been an actress. That didn't make any sense. I always saw her as the coffeehouse type, and that's how they're playing this now. It was good to see her back. It was nice to see her smiling at the beginning. I just kind of felt like, first of all, the last time we saw her, she was such a recluse that writing a book about herself made it it was the same complaint we had when she was trying to be an actress. It's like, does she really want that? Is this what she wants? But I guess I could kind of see how she was trying to spin a message out of it. I think she lacks focus in her career choices. (laughs) She still doesn't know what she wants to be when she grows up. I I think it's stupid. Given that the killers were just off the wall as to who was being ghostface, I guess she could relax after 10 years, but I don't know why. No, you don't feel like this would be the right step for her to write a book? No, I don't think so. I mean, she lived her life as a recluse for a while after this was done. She's seen so many people she knows get murdered. First of all, why isn't she screwed up? Maybe she spent the last 10 years in a loony bin or something. But I just don't see... The character from the past three movies wanting to write a book about this. And going back to Woodsboro on the 10th anniversary of the murders or any anniversary of the murders. That just seems not in her character that we've seen. That she would stay far away is what I think the character would do. You know, even though I didn't read a whole lot about it beforehand... Because of, you know, our listeners sharing information with each other, I knew it was back in Woodsboro. I knew Sydney was going to be back in Woodsboro. I honestly thought that she was just going to be like a housewife or something there. And I'm like, why did she come from the Hollywood Hills to back to Woodsboro? But I kind of went in just saying, I'm going to give this movie its setup. I'm going to let it put its characters where it puts its characters because it has been so long and let them have made whatever leaps they need to to tell me a good story. I'm not going to question the logic of what happened between the 10 years. So I'm just going to give it this. I'll give it the mulligan, as Brock always says, of, yep, Dewey's a cop again. How'd that happen? Who knows? But he's a cop again. And again, he left Hollywood and went back to Woodsboro. Gail's been there for 10 years. How has she survived 10 years out of the spotlight? Who knows? But there we are. The one I could actually go with the most is Sydney because... This could be her again taking charge after being a recluse, trying to come to terms with it. The reason she's not in a loony bin, the reason she's not in therapy is because she's a strong person. She has an inner strength that she is trying to pass on through the book to others. So that one I go with more than Gail and Dewey. You've really thought about her hard, I can tell. I never got that. All she does is stand around and cry. But at the end, she's always the one who knuckles up. Yeah, she always pulls the trigger. Where doesn't she have that strength like halfway through the movie when confronted with Ghostface? And why'd she save it all for the end then? No, she always puts up a fight, but and she's always triumphant at the end. And perhaps even now I'm thinking about it even more. Thank you. Perhaps her defining character moment was when she comes out of the hills and Scream 3 to face her attacker. And that's when she changes from victim to embracing her strength. She's no Sarah Connor. No, but, you know, when the stuff goes down, she runs across the yard to the other house to go fight Ghostface. She does not run in the other direction. She could leave. There's nothing keeping her in Woodsboro, except when the shit goes down, she wants to be there to see, to make sure that her family is okay. No, actually, she tries to leave, and Dewey says, you can't leave because you're implicated. Yeah. And really, 
the family that she never sees, they've made that point abundantly clear at the very beginning of the movie that they don't know her, you know, she never visits, never talks to him. Now, let's talk briefly about her family and just the fact that she has one. Because mm-hmm. Where's her dad? Yeah, where is her dad? And when they talk about the aunt, I actually thought to myself, well, it's got to be the father's sister because that mother was a whore. Really? Yeah, I figured because the mother had such a convoluted Hollywood horror backstory that if the mother had a sister, then that couldn't possibly be a secret, right? I figured it was the father's sister, but no, it was the mother's sister. Again, didn't think of it. I went with it that it was the mother's sister, and I thought that's who it would be anyway. The father's a non-entity in this movie compared to the mother. I think what it really serves to do is make her suspicious, is that if we know that relatives tend to be people that are bad to Sydney, I think we can think that she's on the high end of the list of suspects. And you're referring specifically to the aunt as the suspect. And admittedly, I'm paying attention because with whodunits, I love whodunits. I love trying to figure it out beforehand. It's it's something I just enjoy. And there's that one line that Mary McDowell goes, Sydney's not the only one who has scars. And it's <laughs> like, really? Really? And we never know what those scars are. I thought, I honestly thought that at some point Mary McDonald would be giving a monologue about how, as one of our listeners put it, Sydney's mother's evil VJJ had <laughs> screwed with her too. <laughs> I just thought she was referring to her plastic surgeon's work. <laughs> But yeah, Sydney has this family. Honestly, the aunt didn't work for me. You know what I would have liked? And knowing what we know that we said in the plot summary that it's Sydney's cousins the killer, you know what I would have liked? Is if they brought back the father, pay him whatever he wants, that $10, whatever he needs to get him back, bring back her father, the father remarried after the events of the last one and had a new daughter. I would have liked that. That would have been more meaningful to you than a cousin? Yes, it would have, because Sydney's half-sister wanting to be Sydney, sibling rivalry, all of that would have fit so much better than this cousin from an aunt that has never existed before. And when they're trying to find Sydney, they don't go check with her family. They go and find Dewey and Gale in part three. If there was an aunt, why wouldn't you go to the aunt? It just... it. I hate it when they add family like this, be it TV shows when, oh, all of a sudden the chick from Wings has a sister. Oh, all of a sudden Frasier has a brother or all of a sudden Sydney has an aunt. I hate it all. And I, I would have preferred if they tied it back to the original, brought back the father, give him a trophy wife, give him a new daughter, a new Sydney. Uh, oh, okay. I don't have a strong opinion about that one way or the other. I mean, you're assuming that because we didn't see it, that didn't happen in the last movies. Maybe they did go talk to Mary McDonald. It wasn't important. It, it wasn't a part of the Hollywood story. I mean, it's not like her existence negates things that would have happened. It was just something we didn't see. I mean, do you need them to establish the entire Prescott lineage <laughs> in order for you to understand and accept whether yes or no there could be these people in later installments. Would a sibling not have had more emotional impact than a cousin? What I like about the fact that it's a cousin is the fact that it's being cast by Julia Roberts' niece. And so it brings a whole lot of meta to it by the fact that here is a girl that has tried to follow in Julia's footsteps and was in Nancy Drew that flopped and has not been able to have a success in show business the way that her aunt has. I think it works in that way. 
Wow, I've never heard of Emma Roberts. I didn't know. I didn't know that, who she was. Yeah, I didn't either. You're pouring the knowledge out on me. I didn't know this. Yeah, no, she's been on Nickelodeon. She's worked, but yeah, most people our age don't know who she is because she's been marketed to tweens as the next big thing, the next Hannah Montana, and I don't think it's quite taken. Oh, okay, wait a second. She's Eric Roberts' daughter. Okay, Eric Roberts' daughter explains a lot. I love Eric Roberts. He's awesome. He's awesomely bad. And yeah, he just can't win for being Julia Roberts' brother. I, I still think emotionally having Sydney's sister and have some fratricide going on. Is it fratricide if you're sisters? It might have made it a little more suspicious, honestly. A cousin seems more innocent. I mean, you even get a scene later on where Jill goes, it's Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. And they're thinking, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But we'll get to the new characters in a little bit. Our other returning characters, Gail and Dewey. So anyone else feel awkward because of the whole Deputy Judy thing and Cox Arquette splitting up and he because, was eating someone else's lemon bars? Because Cox has been sleeping with other people. Yeah, he's got a problem. No, I, don't, I don't know their whole sordid history. I know that they are busted up at this point, right? They're separated, if not divorced. He's got a sex problem. Uh, oh. He likes <laughs> to have it with lots of people. Oh, okay. Well, you know. Problem where is where? Courtney didn't. Oh. Well, actually, he he wasn't having it with Courtney Cox was the problem. He was having it with other people, not his wife. He was eating other people's lemon bars. Okay. Well, you know what? They're having fun with it, like as Scream always is wanting to do. They don't run away from someone's personal baggage. I mean, it's brought up when the book agent, Rebecca Walters, corners Gail and is talking about how she keeps her marriage going. They turn it into a joke. I honestly don't think they knew at this point. They filmed this and it's the meltdown started on the set. It's coincidence. It's a wonderful, wonderful coincidence. Mm, I disagree. I think that they're playing into it. I think that's what Scream's all about. They're not going to run from a fight. They know that everyone's going to be cackling about the fact that they're playing married people when they're divorcing. And so they got to talk to the audience about it out of the side of their mouth. And that's what they do. And there is still the rivalry. They're still creating the tension between them because Gail wants to be a part of the investigation. And Dewey feels like as sheriff now, he's not just a cop. He's running the whole show. He is the sheriff. These deputies work for him. He feels that he it would undermine his position of authority if his wife were a part of the team. So they do keep the rivalry going. They've always had. There is that tension. And yes, it works. I think it's an acceptable conflict for them to play out. Did you guys notice, though, I got a good chuckle out of Dewey's Axel F ringtone? Yeah, it's funny. It was cute. Because, you know, he's always thought of himself as a super cop. Sure. No, and it was his generation's idea of a super cop. Yeah, it's funny. There's lots of little jokes in here that work. I think Scream 4 definitely gets the little jokes right. I'm not sure how I feel about Judy. She's another suspect. I think that's high on the list. She was someone that went to school with Sydney and was overshadowed by her. Sydney was Tiger Lily in Peter Pan, the play, and she was just a lost boy in the background. And so we think, hmm, here's someone that feels like they were overshadowed by Sydney, and maybe that's a motive, and maybe this will be the killer. And she's always around. She's in the house. She definitely has access to be doing some of what Ghostface does. So I I think that not only is she a conflict for Dewey and Gale, but she could be the Ghostface killer. 
I honestly thought she might be at the accomplice. I'll say right now, I knew Jill was the killer the whole time, and I'll say why a little later. But I d- couldn't figure out, and I was wrong at the end, who the accomplice was. I thought it might have been her because of the meta-knowledge I have of they were going to have one of Sydney's high school classmates be the co-killer in three. And so when she introduces herself as one of Sydney's high school classmates, I'm like, oh, they pulled that idea out. Okay. But no, they didn't go with that. She's just the new Dewey. Down to getting shot at the end. Yep. And then being fine. I just really thought the killer would be someone we hadn't seen as it was in 2. Billy's mom. But we saw her throughout. Well, we didn't know she was Billy's mom. See, that was the whole thing. Uh, it was like all at a left field. Believe it or not, I was still holding to my maybe Sydney's the crazy one thing for a while because the murder weapon is in the trunk of her rental car. And I don't know. I just feels like wouldn't that be ironic that she supposedly has given up her dark past by turning to the darkness? I thought it might have been her, too. I honestly wasn't ruling it out because I kind of felt... Now, everybody dies in this movie, so I'm wrong. But I thought what they were doing, by bringing in the girl from Heroes and everything else, I thought they were really setting us up for Scream of the Next Generation. Absolutely. So I thought that by having a new Sydney, they even kind of refer to her as the new Sydney. There's that moment of, I know what you're going through. It felt like a passing of the torch. And so I really felt that the three returning characters weren't in their safety bubble because, you know, they're all at a place right now where they needed the work. But if Courtney Cox didn't need it, she wanted it. But I don't think any of them returning for Scream 5 is a guarantee. And so... I thought that they might do that. They might go out on that limb and have one of our returning characters kill or be killed. Yeah, I agree. I was definitely, until Sydney runs across the way to face the killer at the next door house, I really was thinking it's going to be her as a solo killer. And yes, I definitely had the same thought as you. This was going to be quickly passing the torch to the next generation, not only because the old timers may not want to come back next time, but the new kids, let's face it, they like looking at the new younger flesh. And it's hard to imagine how what Gail will even look like in <laughs> Scream 5. Her look has radically changed with each movie. Yes, and not an improvement. No, no, no. But I was just a little disappointed that I went and looked up. Marley Shelton was not in the original Scream. I still think they should have gone back and found one of the bitchy girls from the bathroom or something if they're going to say they were a classmate. Because Scream is smarter than that, you know? Arnie, how much time do we spend in their high school? (laughs) She could have been there. Like, the fact that she wasn't one of the girls in the bathroom does not mean that she is some interloper. I'm not saying she wasn't, but I like the references. I like the continuity. I would have liked if they brought someone back who was actually in it. Hell, they put a Fonz bust in the high school. Exactly. There's tons of callbacks. Why do you need everything to be a callback? I think that it's just fine the way it plays. One of the reasons why I never suspected Jill, and I'm surprised to say that she was your primary suspect, was the fact that they've done such an obvious job of setting her up to be the new lead. It was so clear that she was going to be new Nev in the ongoing sequel. Here's why I thought it might be her. First of all, again, this is a generation of actresses I didn't know. I didn't know Emma Roberts. I didn't know any of these people. And when Kirby pulls up, the brunette is there. That's just what I knew her as was the brunette. I didn't realize it was Sydney's cousin or anything, but the brunette was there. And Hayden says, before you get in the car, you have to promise you're not going to kill me. I'm like, they told me right there. She's it. That's why you thought it? And I was right. 
When people watch this movie a second time, they're going to be like, ah, there's a line. I caught it the first time. It felt very out of place there. Before you get in the car, you have to promise not to kill me in a slasher film. You are telling me who the killer is. Yeah. But this movie's not that smart. These series. Is- Obviously it is because it was. <laughs> I don't yeah, think they Mar- meant that. Marjorie, give them this much. That was pretty clever. I didn't catch it. They outsmarted me. I can admit that. They outsmarted. I did not catch that, and I did not pick up on that at all. She doesn't get killed by her either. It's the other one. It's Charlie that gets her. Mm-hmm. So I guess that should make her happy. <laughs> yeah. But they do a lot for smokescreen. I mean, she gets cut in one of the initial attacks. She has to hide under the bed from Ghostface. We are a lot of the time thinking that she is trying to run from him. They've, they've done a very good job of that. I have a question. And perhaps the entire police force is just incredibly incompetent. They knew that Ghostface was after Sydney's family and her, or whoever happened to be standing around her at the time. Why didn't they put them someplace where there's only one entry in, like, say, a hotel? Or just police custody in general. Yeah, why didn't they make him stay at the station? Which, yeah, I know that would suck, but, I mean, couldn't they have just put him in the Holiday Inn and put guards outside the door? They couldn't get in the hotel room if they're, like, on the third floor or something. Well, Dewey is running the police force. I think that's all we need to know. Yeah, I guess you're right. (laughs) With his Axel Effering tone, it's Dewey. And that's kind of what they did in 3. I mean... She was just sitting in the police station for the good majority of three till the killer drew her out. So they've kind of done that already in one of the Scream films here. Yeah, well, yeah, it's doing. What'd you think about the new kids then? They're trying to be types and recastings of, of the original cast, I assume. So I think Charlie and Robbie are dueling to be the new Randy. They didn't work for me as the new Randy. First of all, I have the problem of after the opening, the very meta-meta opening, more meta than meta opening, (laughs) I kind of felt like they dropped being Scream. One of the things about the Scream, and more so in the sequels than perhaps even the original, is how they're constantly aware of being in a movie. They're, you know, they're one step away from breaking the fourth wall. Here, it felt like after that opening, we just became in a regular slasher film. It didn't feel like we were in a scream film other than the killers wearing the ghost face mask and, hey, there's enough Campbell once in a while. It didn't have the references to the movies until like almost an hour into the movie when with these two cinema dorks, we get to the cinema club. And then it felt shoehorned in in that way. Randy felt very natural because it was a movie about high schoolers. He was a high schooler. Here, you got Gail kind of approaching them saying, we're going to investigate it together. And at no point did I feel like this was really following the rules of a Scream movie and being constantly meta-aware the whole way through. I agree. If they're supposed to be Randy and they're supposed to have the rules, I couldn't figure out what they were. They don't outline it very easily. And honestly, I don't think there are rules here. If the new rule is that the old rules don't apply, that to me means it's just chaos. It means that we're back to having dumb characters do the wrong thing in a horror movie setting and getting killed for it. And that's kind of much how it goes, that they don't seem savvy. You're right. Because they aren't so postmodern and aware of the horror movie cliches, they don't seem smart enough to be here. They don't seem like worthy advocates for ghost killers. And the fact that 
the live blogging guy was constantly wearing the headset with the webcam. I would want to smack him so much. Are you seriously? Does he turn that on when he pees? It really, it felt like, is this really what you think of as Randy today? With Kevin Williamson, he's so pegged 90s culture. But if he thinks that despite the fact we do live in a YouTube world and, you know, a world where, as Stuart mentioned last time, where some people do podcasts in a hope of gathering some sort of attention for themselves it was a little too Blair Witch and it never even went there you know it, it seems like that would have been a great Blair Witch Cloverfield type conceit but it didn't work for me in Scream 4 at all it it felt about as natural here as the Halloween Resurrection I totally was having a callback to that and that was the crazy thing was I was like really they're supposed to be playing catch up with the horror movie and they haven't gotten past 2001's Halloween Resurrection <laughs> come on that really nobody even liked it then like these aren't today's kids these are kids from eight or nine years ago I, I just feel like they got it wrong I agree they, they haven't nailed the youth culture particularly well these kids didn't feel authentic I don't believe that Robbie and Charlie would be these characters. I don't think they are Randy. I don't think they fit. No, and their cinema club had a very diverse population, which is not what you would find at a high school cinema club. What was Trevor doing in the cinema club? What was Kirby doing there? Do kids even watch movies anymore, or do they just watch YouTube clips? I mean, honestly, no, they I, felt, them. <laughs> I feel like television is out surpassed movies at this point. People watch serialized adventures. I feel like movie watching is a dying art. You know what, though? Even though I don't feel they nailed the youth culture, you know, in the last podcast, I kept saying how I didn't like the groups of meat in Scream 2 and 3. Here, I think they actually did a fairly good job. And I was kind of brought back in a good way to Freddy versus Jason's group of kids where I kind of got into their little interplay. The fact that Kirby actually did like Charlie and it wasn't the same old Randy Sidney, Randy is unrequited type thing. The whole Trevor cheating on Jill and Trevor calling like every other single girl because he was just that kind of guy. That didn't pan out really for much at all. Well, he got shot in the cock. That has to hurt. Well, but I mean, I was kind of getting into their interplay and liking them as standalone characters, which there's very few horror movies that pull that off. I was liking them. And unlike the last movies, I wasn't missing the scenes that didn't have Sidney, Gale and Dewey. In the previous movies, when we have all those actors going around in the house blowing up or the one before that with CC in the sorority house, I found myself not giving a shit. But here it felt closely integrated, even though, again, it felt like Scream the Next Generation and about as ham-handed as Star Trek Generations, where the scenes between the two just don't work as well. But when we had scenes with just the high schoolers and scenes with just the old school people, it kind of worked. Maybe that explains why I'm less with it than you are then, because they didn't work for me. There was only one of the new characters that I liked, and that's Kirby. I'd never seen Hayden Pantieri before, and I was impressed. She has the spark and a wit that reminded me of Rose McGowan. So it was like, ah, yes, you've got that thing. You've got that flirty, fun, movie-smart thing going on. None of the other ones really connected with me. The Trevor, the creepy boyfriend, the two Randys, Olivia, the next-door neighbor, they did seem kind of generic to me. I wasn't really taken. Every time Kirby was on the screen, I was with it. I wasn't even that taken with Jill. And if she was going to be the new Nev, well, it says something when you're not living up to the sparkle and wit of Nev Campbell. <laughs> <laughs>
You know, it, it did hit me, though, that there were two Randys this time. Like, you need two people to be Jamie Kennedy? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't think we needed two movie geeks there, but oh well. But even at the end, Charlie calls himself out, although he thinks he's the only Randy. He doesn't see it as two Randys. He thinks he's the Randy and saying after he is revealed to be the co-killer with Jill that this time Randy, Charlie, gets Sydney, Jill. So you guys like these characters then? You felt like they were up to snuff with the original cast? I did. I liked them as much as the original cast. I thought they were a little better. I don't know. Maybe those kids are a little better actors. I know the girl from Heroes. She's somewhat of a decent actress. Well, you know her from that ice skating movie. Ice Princess. Yes. Yes, but she's been in a lot of other things too, Arnie. She's done a lot of stuff. And she's not bad. And you like her handbags, so you're going to be on her side. She does make good handbags. You're right. (laughs) She makes handbags for Dooney. I don't know who this girl is. I've never seen her ever before. But to me, she was heads and tails above every other youngster in this cast. She's not bad. She can act pretty decently. She can play off various people and she does pretty well in all the things I've seen her in. And I don't ever remember her specifically for a role. She always takes on the role that she is. I did not get the impression from my days in high school that Charlie and Robbie would ever hang out with these girls. I don't see them being friends, going to parties, or anything like that. No, it's just like in Scream 2 when all of the major characters were in film classes together. It's like, no, they're not. This would not make sense. Yeah, high school has not changed in that regard, where everybody just gets along fine, and the cool kids hang out with the not-cool kids and the nerds. It doesn't happen. No. We're not in a post-Revenge of the Nerds America. We are not. Although being a geek is better today than it was back in the day. Well, that's because it's trendy. I felt like the ones who died early, we never got a chance to know. And I felt like Trevor, we never really got a chance to know either. It's like he's kind of Billy Light. He comes in through the window. But the other four, I just kind of liked them. I liked their energy. I just didn't feel they were integrated very well. I think the other problem is, not that I need, uh, you know, affirmative action program here, but there are all these white girls here. Like, was people having trouble keeping track of the white girls? Like, yes. it's just a white girl parade in this movie. They all looked alike. There are almost no guys in this cast. And that's why when I said I thought the brunette was the killer, I had no clue who this brunette was for like, it took me 20, 25 minutes to peg all the teens down and realize, oh, I keep seeing the same brunette. That's the same character. The opening kind of threw me because there's like six blondes killed in 10 minutes. After that, my head is spinning. I kind of felt a little Black Christmas remake-y and I was trying to have trouble figuring them out. I was having a, a similar problem. And like I said, again and again, Kirby is the only one with distinction. Maybe it was the haircut. Like she was the only one with the like, hair that, that wasn't long. Like, Because even the boy, even Rory Culkin has got like chick hair. It, just, it was just too many chicks in this cast. I... Wait, that was Rory Culkin. I wondered about those bug eyes because I kept thinking that kid looked like Macaulay Culkin with those bug eyes. I know. And it's and I think, again, that's some more stunt casting of, well, he's the brother of the more famous one. Like, that's the motive of these new killers. They're Julia Roberts' niece and Macaulay Culkin's brother. They want to be famous. They're jealous. So we eventually establish fairly early on that the killer is supposedly following the original Scream, that they're essentially rebooting or remaking the original Scream 10 years later. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. That's something they said. I honestly did not feel like that was true. In fact, I felt like it was kind of hard to follow where it was going next. 
the kills seemed completely random. Why were those two girls killed at the beginning? I still don't know. Why was Olivia killed through the window? I liked it because I was actually feeling very proud of myself again. I knew who the killer was. I was feeling very good because I'm like, I like this moment where they're watching from the window. It's like rear window. And then for the rest of the fucking movie, there's rear window written on the walls. There's rear window posters. They're like screaming in case you missed it. We did a rear window moment here. I agree. Although, did you catch the vertigo? Because Hayden's haircut is straight Kim Novak and Vertigo is obsessed with spirals and things within things within things. There's a lot of Vertigo here, too. They're referencing Alfred Hitchcock. And dissing him at the same time, saying Psycho, the movie we often cite as the start of the slasher genre, isn't. So, Stuart, I guess we have a new horror one-off to do. I Actually, if you go back to our Halloween 8 podcast, I have cited Peeping Tom. Oh, pulling out the Halloween 8. <laughs> yep, it's there. Go listen to it. They make a direct reference to Peeping Tom, and I call it out. So what would have been acceptable remake for the killer? Would it have been going back to the houses and the locations of the kills? What do you guys think? I honestly think, I mean, since you're saying that, is maybe this is the wrong tag. That only works to me if playing against that is a stab reboot that's in theaters or something like that. I don't know. Would it have been in too much trouble to ask that if there are no more rules or the rules have totally changed, that maybe it's a different kind of plot? Like, I guess I felt like it was a little depressing that they were trying to redo everything they had done in the original screen. It just didn't feel inspired. They had already done that in Scream 2, after all. Like, here they're going to do it again? But again, I didn't see it. They didn't kill people with the same names. They didn't kill people at the same houses. They didn't even kill people of the same genders. No, I agree. There were kills like Olivia across the way that didn't factor in at all. I mean, maybe you can stretch and say, well, the party is like the other party, but... Yep, that's the stretch. <laughs> but there is no Rose McGowan that dies there. I mean, it's just the equivalencies are, are not correct. And more to the point, what does that all get them? Like, by doing that, what have they achieved? Nothing. I don't think it worked at all. I think the whole attempting to be meta, attempting to talk about remakes and things was poorly done and shoehorned in. This is why, honestly, I was thinking the first hour of this movie, well, this doesn't feel like a Scream film. It feels like a standard horror film. I'm enjoying it as a standard horror film, but the moment they tried to shoehorn in all this other shit, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Well, this is the first one also where they didn't go into the convoluted story of Sydney's mom and Cotton Weary. In fact, I don't think Cotton Weary's name was even brought up once. Not once. And I was thinking it was going to be because this movie likes to redo things over and over and into the ground that the publicist, because she was so hell bent on all this publicity for Sydney, might have been like Cotton Weary's illegitimate daughter or something. <laughs> I would have loved that. Didn't you expect something like that? No, I mean, I never thought about Cotton Weary. I didn't think about him in the first scream. I didn't think about him in Scream 4. But I was looking for characters that they were showing us. I didn't have any hope that I could determine their motive. I feel like the motive is always explained at the end scene, but I thought that I might be able to peg at least who they are. You know what I kind of liked, though, is that the killers weren't related to the other ones. It left Scream 1 through 3. At the end of 3, they're like, this is the end of the trilogy. It truly was. And if the comparison I could draw is Star Trek 2 through 4, where you take those three and it's a trilogy. They're still Star Trek 5 and 1, but they don't directly connect. So I was glad that it Roman was never brought up. You know, all of this was never brought up. The only thing brought up from the previous ones is Sydney and Gail and Dewey have been through murders with Ghostface. This didn't feel like an installment that would be required viewing for a quadrilogy. This felt like a standard sequel 
I liked that it wasn't so intertwined and incestuously combined. I disagree for exactly the same reasons. I think that Stream has always been great at making things feel a part of the same fabric. And this didn't have those connections, and I miss them. I actually think it suffers by not having those connections. And, of course, the reason why they don't call back things to Scream 2 and 3, they know their primary audience hasn't seen those. At best, they hope they've seen the original. But that's all that they can hope. They're pitching this to a new generation, and they're trying to focus on their best asset, which is the original Green. But, you know, to that end, I again, I've said I thought this was a passing of the torch. I thought this was Scream the Next Generation. They kill every single youthful character at the end the three who came in from the previous ones are the only three plus the deputy who can continue on to the next one i agree that was a surprise there were many surprises about the end but that is one of them and that yes that's what i mean if they are going to continue this one to a scream five there's no obvious person to do that other than the three that we've always been following, who's got to be getting a little tired of it. And I, I think you might have trouble getting Courtney Cox and David Arquette back on set together again. And I think Arquette's probably an easier get than Gail. So I'm guessing the next one, Gail has moved back to L.A. to return to journalism while Sydney and Dewey continue the fight. Yes. Now, let's look at the kills, though. What did you guys think of the kills this time after the opening? We had Olivia through the window, publicist in the garage, and then thrown out a window. These were actually the most graphic kills they've had in the entire movie series. I and mean, we saw intestines. I agree. And you know what? I think, again, having listened to the commentaries of the first ones, Scream 1 was so heavily censored by the MPAA. And I got thinking about where horror was in the 90s and just how... Everything felt so censored in the 90s where basically movies that at any other time would be PG-13 were R in the 90s and anything that's normally a good hard R would be X. Now it feels like the reins have slackened just a little bit and they're able to put this stuff in that they wanted to have in the first one. In the very first one, they filmed Steve's intestines falling out and they were told to cut it. Here we get to see Olivia's intestines and there they are. So again, it points very meta to where the movie making industry is and what we can get away in films. It allowed this one to be gorier and I liked it. I felt it was more violent. I felt the kills were more satisfying than they had been in any of the other screams. And yet I'm going to complain that what I didn't like was that it was so obvious that there was CGI touch up here, that there was bloodstains on white clothing that were not practical bloodstains, but put in by digital effects artists. And I can spot that stuff. It doesn't look right to me. And I felt like a lot of these blood spattering things, even though they're more graphic, looked phonier. Yeah, so it's funny is I know you get on me and Brock and Marjorie sometimes for calling out the fake practicals. <laughs> That's how I feel when you call out the fake CGI. I'm like, yeah, but it was fine. It didn't bother me. I, I think I noticed the one scene you're talking about where the blood is like spreading on the shirt and it's quite obviously CGI blood. Mm-hmm. But yes. It was one scene and I, it didn't bother me. There were a lot of practicals, a lot of real corn syrup on set. It was fun. You know what annoys me though is always they show the knife with the blood on it in this franchise that's the signature after kill scene the blood always looks so awfully fake you i mean it looks like red dye and corn syrup and they didn't get the red enough red dye in there you know what i read after we saw the movie and i found this very interesting i didn't spot this as cgi's tell me if either of you did in all of the attacks the knife blade was completely cgi ghostface was just running around with a handle that they cgi'd in the blade so that way nobody was getting hurt and they didn't have to worry about the retractable blades or anything is that why it was like so weirdly shiny 
I guess. So that CGI didn't bother me at all. And I feel CGI can enhance a film and I'm not pulled out when something looks overtly CGI, Stuart, the same way you're not pulled out when something looks overtly practical. Yeah, I guess. It's just a different aesthetic. More to the point, I like horror. I don't like slasher. I don't care if uh, about how much gore I get. I really don't. I just want to be scared. This movie's not very scary. No, it's not scary at all. You know what? It made me jump in my seat once. When he hit his head on the plant? No. When they're running the stop sign and the car comes out, the big noise and everything, I honestly thought it was an attack and I jumped in my seat and I was the only time I jumped the whole movie, but it was one of those false scares that got me. No, it got me too. That was, you're correct. That's the one that I cite. It's early. Arnie, that's early into the movie. But yeah, they, the Kirby is a reckless driver, and she goes right through the stop sign. But you know what? While it wasn't scary, the brutality, I'm not a gore hound where I really, I was like, oh, show me the intestines. I actually thought I could have done without the intestine. It didn't add anything to it for me. But what I guess I mean when I'm talking about how the MPAA will allow more in is it allows more brutality. And while I didn't give a shit about Olivia as a character, I, as we've cited, we know nothing about Olivia. I felt bad for Olivia. That death goes on and on and on. And even the piece of shit publicist you start to feel bad for. I, I felt bad for all of the characters who were dying there because their deaths were so bloody and drawn out and brutal. And so scared? No. But empathetic and sympathetic? Yes. It got an emotional reaction out of me. That emotion was not fear, but I consider that a good slasher's job to make me like the people and not want to see them dying and feel bad as they're dying. See, I didn't even think it was a good slasher film, though, because some of them were over the top, and I think they were trying to get that, because I think that the audience this is geared towards, which I hate to tell you guys, it's not us. We're a little bit old for what they're trying to skew to. I think that because we have things like Hostel and Saw, you've really got to pull out all the stops now when you're making a horror movie with any kind of gore if it's not a suspensive movie. And I think that's what they're trying to do for this one is recapture that magic, get a whole new audience and carry on the trilogy. You know what? It actually, there was one other thing that got me and I was just like, wow, is when they threw the publicist's body on top of the news van. I was like, I did not expect that. And again, it, ha it I didn't jump as much as the stop sign one, but that one I was not expecting at all either. Well, let me ask you guys an interesting question. Since they're recreating, you know, I talked about how, what would be an acceptable way to recreate the murders. Do you think that the killing style and the Arnie's perception of torture of the victims and then throwing the publicist on top of the van was in the spirit of how Ghostface is killed over the last three movies. Well, it's always a different Ghostface, so the MO was always changing. I was surprised he didn't clean the blade. But <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that was missing is there's no cleaning of the blade. But No, they didn't do it the last movie either. The only time they ever cleaned the blade was when Mickey was trying to emulate what he knew the killer to be. That's it. Mm -hmm. But it's always a different Ghostface, so it makes sense that Ghostface behaves differently each movie. No, he didn't string anybody up and gut them. But he kind of was throwing Olivia out a window, and I thought that was a callback to stringing up of Drew, and then throwing the publicist. Everything was a callback to Drew. <laughs> they kept doing that Drew thing again and again. The opening kill was Drew. Kirby trying to answer the horror trivia was Drew. I mean, it's like that was the only death that mattered. It was like the only thing that they knew the whole audience was aware of was the Drew Barrymore scene. And so, yeah, that was the only thing they were recreating. And maybe that was my frustration. They weren't recreating the entirety of Scream. They were trying to get back to that first awesome 10 minutes and trying to just live in that moment. 
Now, with the Olivia kill, did you guys realize Ghostface was in Olivia's closet? Because, again, I knew that exactly where that was going. Like, yeah, yes, you're in the closet. Yeah. Yeah, you're not in... Ghostface talks too much in this movie. I don't remember in any other scream him running up the minutes the way he does on this phone. <laughs> of like, I mean, just everything's like, I'm going to catch you on the editing room floor. I mean, just shut up, really. <laughs> just shut the fuck up. I agree. I liked that he was talking a little more violent and graphically but there was way too much and he sounded different like the voice actor was literally phoning it in yeah no it didn't work for me the new voice and of course it's a different ghost face we can't judge it by how billy and Stu would have done it these are new kids and they are going to be more explicit and they are going to talk too much because (laughs) they have good phone plans since they were the age of three but i still i would just say that i didn't enjoy it i felt like it deterred from the suspense you're saying you're enjoying the kills i am saying I started to find the movie tedious. When I realized that none of them were going to be particularly scary, I started to check my watch. I really thought that the ghost-faced voice app that they talked about in the beginning would have more play in the movie, but they never, ever mentioned it again. I thought there'd be kids prank calling left and right because, let's face it, if there was a relative of Sidney Prescott and there's a ghost-faced killer app, you know they'd be getting pranked all the time. Well, they don't have to know her number. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? They didn't use that at all after they mentioned it because they thought Trevor was doing it. This movie has a lot of ideas about what it could be doing and I don't feel like the follow through is particularly good on any of them. I think you summed it up perfectly right there. They know that they got to do all of these signature things from their original movie to please and they've got to not only redo them but push them forward and make them new and package them in such a way in which they can smartly postmodernly deconstruct them as they're doing them and I feel like the writing is not there. I don't feel like Williamson had a handle on what he was doing by returning. And indeed, it was a big fight behind the scenes. This was another project that was greatly rewritten during the time that was making that. I don't know who the original killers were, but I do know that it was not what we see here and that Aaron Kruger was brought in to finish the job after Williamson walked away from the set. Yeah, I knew a bit about that. I actually heard an interview with Williamson where he was like, well, I just actually had to return to my day job. He's got a TV show and... Oh, sure. I'm <laughs> sure they say a lot of things. As someone that worked in Hollywood, I am aware of what people say and what the truth is. It's not... Oh, yeah. I think you are right with the truth. I'm also reporting the spin as well as your side of the... <laughs> oh, everyone's happy. Believe me, everyone is doing press is happy with how it turned out. It all turned out for the best, but there was a real battle and there was lots of actors that were not happy on this set because it kept changing. And I do think it is because much like Scream 2, that's what this felt like a return to. Scream 2, we're scrambling to try to recreate the first one and we don't quite know how to do it. But this one actually smacked a little bit more of desperation. Whereas with two, they had the ability to be a little cocky. Here, it's like, please, remember how much you liked the first? (laughs) (laughs) There was a heavy perspiration to all of it. Yes. They were trying really, really hard to redo it. And I appreciated the effort, but the desperation came through. Now, the next two deaths are two characters that I wish had just been left on the cutting room floor. The cops. 
Yeah. Is Anthony Anderson ever an asset to anything? <laughs> no. Ever? I mean, in Departed, he wasn't a detriment, but I can't even say that he was good there. And, and, and God knows Kangaroo Jack and everything else that he's done. <laughs> the guy brings a lot of unnecessary baggage. I guess the only reason they have him cast here is that he was also appeared in scary movies. They thought it was funny to bring somebody from that franchise into the Scream franchise. You see, and I think that's a mistake because the last thing you want to do in Scream is remind me of Scary Movie. It happens now when I watch Scream. <laughs> Two, I think of that scene in Scary Movie, and you just you don't need that any more than we need to bring in Charlie Sheen from Scary Movie Three, going duh, winning. I did again though. I felt bad for Anthony Anderson's death because he gets stabbed in the brain. Yeah, right in the middle of his forehead. I mean, you knew that the cops were going to die, and you knew it was going to be in that scene. I'd actually put down the added two to my body count before they were killed because it just you knew that was happening. But what I didn't expect is him to get stabbed in the brain. And then again, the prolonged thing of him getting out and like punching air and things and just dying. But then I'm, I'm enjoying the scene so much and feeling so bad for Anthony Anderson. And then they just piss on the whole thing, my whole good thing when he goes, fuck Bruce Willis and falls over. I didn't like any of this scene. I, if you had got a kernel of enjoyment out of it, you got more than I did. I hated these characters, and I hated every second I had to spend with them. Yeah, there wasn't even enough of the characters to even bother caring about them. And this is just needless to have it even happen. And when they're sitting there talking about how cops die and all the flicks, it reminded me of what you said, Stuart, about Tatum in the first movie, where when she goes, is this a Wes Carpenter flick or I spit on your garage? I was like, why are these cops talking about cop movies? This is wrong. Well, you know, it's how Kevin Williamson likes to write. He writes in his one voice. Everyone has one voice, and it's smarmy, postmodern self-awareness. And if it had played well, then I could have said, hey, it's funny that the cops are calling out how they're being utilized in the horror movie. But I did not like these characters. I did not have a use for them. I, every time they were on the screen, my interest flagged. Death 7, President Rosalind stands with a fist. Mary McDonald. Why was she even in this movie? Why did they waste their money on an Oscar-winning actress? Who is on the high list of suspects? She's out shopping every time the killer's out killing, and she's related to Maureen, so just by association, she was high up there. I thought, yeah, it really could be her. When she goes out there, and Ghostface is out there, I'm thinking that she could be coming back in the mask. Well, and she said that she had a lot of scars, too. Yeah. So I did put her on the list of killers. You know what? When she goes, Sydney's not the only one with scars. I honestly thought we were going to get some monologue about how Sydney's mother's whorish Hollywood thing had affected the entire family and things. I really thought we were going to get something like that. We get nothing. And she was written off my list of suspects when we got so little with her. If she was going to be the Debbie Salt of Scream 4, we would have seen her more. I forgot she was in the movie for most of it. We see her at the beginning saying she has scars. Then she disappears, shows up at the end with groceries. I'm like, oh yeah, there you are. And I agree, this character does drop out of the picture. I think that's why I thought she was suspicious, is because she is so peripheral, just like the Debbie Salt character was in the second one. It definitely could have been her. I hadn't ruled her out, but I was actually, for my the second killer, my money was on Trevor, because they were doing so many callbacks to the first one, I thought it was going to be Trevor and Jill, mm. and so I didn't expect it to be her. When she showed up again at the end, and it caught me a little off guard, and she's like, I'll be right back, and I'm like, oh boy, well, there, there's that line again. But I did not expect to see her get stabbed through the mail slot. <laughs> 
No, I, I don't know that I had a good sense about where her character was going when it was clear that there was another ghost face attacking. But I didn't mind that she was taken out of the picture. I wasn't sad. I don't know why she was in it, though. Yeah, that character didn't need to be in there, other than for Jill to say, well, I killed my own mother, even. Well, I can tell you this. Originally, another actor was cast in this role, and she walked off the set due to the rewriting. So it was someone I'd never heard of. But I can read between the lines and say probably they had a different role in this and then it changed. Like a lot of these screen sequels, you have to go with the flow. You might get cast thinking, I'm going to be the killer and find out, no, I'm going to be in the background and be killed off pretty unmemorable. Oh, it was going to be Lauren Graham. I don't know who that is. She's from Bad Santa, <gasps> Gilmore Girls. Oh, the fuck me Santa girl. Yeah. She actually would have fit much better and hit the demo because of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, she cited script changes as the reason she quit. She wasn't the only one. I mean, there was definitely a lot of complaints leaking from this cast. In the age of Twitter, people know when their celebrities are not happy. It's harder for a PR person to put a good spin on a troubled picture. And this was a movie that had some real headaches coming to the realization on the screen. Death 8, Robbie, who comes out of the closet as the knife goes in. Is that really a rule that gay people can't die in horror movies? I have never heard that rule before. He died in Bride of Chucky. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. It's not a real rule. And maybe he was just saying it to hope he'd live. Yeah, maybe he invented the rule thinking that it was going to work for him. But uh, it was just one of those things that didn't feel true. If the rule felt right, it would have been surprising. But all of this had no payoff. I guess that was the point that they spent all of this time with his headset backwards and his iPhone forwards. And we thought we were going to see something coming from behind at him. And that surprise, we're going to do the unexpected and it's just going to come through the door. But to be surprised in that way is not to be delighted. Exactly. <laughs> I really hoped that they'd play with it, that he'd see something behind him, that it would be kind of similar to the first movie where you get to see the killer coming up behind Randy, but it's it's on the delay, so you don't know what really happened. We get none yeah, of that. No, it, it's like being surprised, like you asked for like a car for your birthday, and you got like a nice sweater. <laughs> Death nine. Kirby. I felt bad for her because she was actually... I love Kirby! Yeah. I wanted Kirby to live through this. I wanted her to carry on Scream. I'll just put it out there right now. I had high hopes that Kirby was going to make it through this. And I love that they brought back the trivia. I love that she answered the trivia. I loved everything about this moment. I loved the fact that Sydney told her, don't let in Charlie and trust your instincts if you don't know if he's the killer or not. And he shows up at the window. I loved all uh, how all of this played out. I thought this was actually a really good scene and her death was hard to watch yeah i liked her too i like to think if kirby was real she downloads now playing every week yep with all the horror trivia she has to be listening right <laughs> she had good taste the, the stuff she had suspiria and don't look now i was like hey I, I would hang with her she's got good horror movie taste and she was one of the few likable characters I mean, and that actress is good. Yeah, I honestly, too, thought that she might carry the franchise. I feel like the actress herself might have bigger aspirations, but I wanted to see her live through this because you like her because she's a Randy and a damsel in distress all in one package. Yeah, She could be Randy and Sydney in one person, and they killed her. I know. But 
you know, being thwarted by that expectation, I could have gone with it if I felt like there was someone else to carry the torch. But with her dying, it was the death of every character that I cared about anymore. There was no longer anyone in the cast that had any spark of life to them. The old timers felt tiresome. The other ones, I just didn't care. At this point, I didn't care how the movie wound up. Yeah, despite his headset annoyance, I was kind of going with Robbie. I don't know why I'd go with somebody who constantly puts hours and hours of content on the internet, but I was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you see, projection a little? <laughs> but I was liking Robbie, and I was liking Kirby, and when they were both dead, I was a little disappointed, because who I was left with was Bland and Blander. I mean, of the two film geeks, I much preferred Robbie over Charlie. Sure. But I did like that they tied Charlie up just like Steve, yes, the one who did. I always forgot from Scream 1. I'm like, oh, a Steve call back. I thought, honestly, yeah. because of the intestines earlier, I thought we were going to see Charlie get killed to finally explain to us how Steve died in the first one, because the MPAA wouldn't let us see. We were all surprised, uh, the way that this scene turned out. It wasn't like I couldn't imagine Kirby dying, but I, once she was gone, I was checked out. And I didn't expect it to happen from Charlie. No mask. I could have seen Ghostface. I was expecting to see Ghostface jump in, and they fuck with me, because no, Charlie is the killer. He hasn't even, here's the reveal when he stabs it into her gut. And that was a good scene for me. I was sad to see the character go because that means she can't be in the sequel. But yeah, I, w I liked how they revealed the killer. Possibly the single best killer reveal in the whole Scream series right there. Possibly. I'll go with that. And I agree. Just because I didn't want her to die doesn't mean that it's not an effective moment. It's a very effective moment because we have lost something. I'll tell you what, though. This was the point when I realized it was going to be Jill. For most of the movie, they had me that it wasn't Jill. But when I realized that the other one was Charlie, for some reason, I just never thought it was going to be Trevor. He was just too obvious. And they were, I think, trying to lead you to think that it was Trevor and Charlie, just like Billy and Stu. And I was just like, nope, that only leaves Jill. Could it really be Jill? It was Jill. Yeah. What you guys think? See, here's the thing is you could never guess the killer in any of the Scream movies because they're so out there. Like, but I did. Uh, uh, <laughs> on a fluke. No, no. You guessed that it was going to be her. You had no idea why. No. You could sure. never guess their reasons, their motives, what's driving them to do yeah. it. They will explain it to you once they get their monologue. But up until that point, you will not know. I mean, there was no reason to suspect Billy and Stu together. No reason to suspect Debbie Salt in the second one. Which is what really makes these more horror than whodunit, is that there's no motive really stated. Until the end, when you get the Scooby-Doo moment, and the killer, they take the killer's mask off. and But that's cheating. I mean, in order to have a mystery, you have to give the audience an opportunity to figure out on their own. I agree, and that's what's missing. That's the only way to create a mystery. If you're just going to tell them at the end, it's not a mystery. It's a slasher with the surprise killer. And that's what these movies are. So, I mean, I kept thinking, okay, maybe this person's a killer. Then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? It's going to be a completely ridiculous motive, probably tied back to Sydney's mom being a slut and cotton weary somewhere in it, which I didn't get the cotton part, but I thought it was maybe the mother who was jealous that the sister was a famous and... I know I like to think Sydney somehow got money from this because she didn't appear to have a stable career. Well, that book. It just came out, though, and it's a self-help book. You know how well those sell. I just, after I got done breaking my arm from patting myself on the back, knowing it was Jill, I did go, 
all right, well, it's still a what the fuck. I, I, it makes no sense. And then she comes up with the whole, I want to have fame. And the only way to be famous is to have fucked up shit happen to you. Now, is that even true? Can you name anyone who has long lasting fame because fucked up shit happens to them? No, Arnie, but that's not what they're talking about here. Well, this is Williamson taking a dig at, you know, Generation Next and saying, oh, you don't even care about movies anymore. You're just living for YouTube. Well, reality shows, that whole teen mom show where these girls are getting pregnant just to be on the show and that kind of thing. I think that's what it was poking at. Yeah, I really feel like these are YouTube killers. They're only thinking about how many hits they're hit. Her line, the best line in the whole movie is, I don't need friends, I need fans. Mm -hmm. And that's the thinking here. And you can understand the mentality of someone becoming more obsessed with numbers than they are with genuine human connections. That's what's happened. She murdered everyone she knew so that she could have a million fans and infamy. And to have, ironically, the life that Sid has been trying to leave behind. Conceptually, I I like this idea. I don't know about the physicality of little Jill running around slashing people. But then again, I think Charlie did most of the actual brutal killing here. That she was uh, ghost-faced only in killing her mom, right? Maybe the cops. Maybe the cops. I actually think, yeah, probably the cops. But it, that And that wasn't a very physical one. Mm-mm. And I think she might have been involved in the opening kill. But she certainly was ruthless enough. The thing is, as far as the whole I need fans thing, wouldn't that motive be far more applicable to Robbie? Shouldn't the script even have added some lines where Jill is commenting how Robbie's going about it the wrong way? Because Robbie's the one constantly live blogging his life to maybe two people. I don't know who watches live streaming video all day. But it just seemed like if it had been him and he realized this live streaming video isn't working out, so I'm going to take it to the next level, that would have been one thing. Jill, you never get that off of her until she says it at the end. She says it, but the actress and the character never convey that that's what she wants. She's never asking Sydney, what's it like? No, she did ask her, what's it like, or how do you deal with it? And it is supposed to mean that she's trying to be empathetic, but really that was her digging for what's it like to be so famous. They do have that scene, but I agree with you. The performance doesn't play. I think if I were to watch this again, I still wouldn't see that actress showing me the hidden dark side of what she's trying to get at in that scene. I I do feel like you're right. We don't really see ruthlessness in that character or get much of a sense off of her at all until a monologue. Not even ruthlessness. I just want to see her interested in fame in a greater way that would help set her apart from the others. And when she says, I want to be famous, to have that pay off. And it really never does. Having something like the way kind of Debbie Salt was stalking Gail, having if maybe because Gail was somebody who was famous, who was living in Woodsboro, Jill had tried to strike up a friendship there. Just give me something to let me know that it's beyond just lip service to a motive. And there wasn't. I agree. If the character had been written that she was uploading secret information about Sydney that only she would know in order to get an attraction of fans or something like that, if that moment had happened earlier on, we could have understood this moment. But truly, she's not doing that. She's not an exploitive character. And so I don't buy that she wants fame at any cost. And perhaps it would be because then we wouldn't find her sympathetic and see her as what you saw her as, Stuart, which is Sydney Jr. Yeah, I agree. It's a tough balancing act. And I I do feel like the script could have used uh, more polish in order to strike the balance. I, I just, it doesn't totally play right. That said, 
I kept going back and forth. At first, when she pulls out the mask, I'm like, eh. But then I, I can't help but taking a little delight at the Fight Club moment, in which after everyone is stabbed and dead, she proceeds to try and do an attack on herself. I thought that was a really cool scene, actually. That's a really funny scene, and I actually think she plays it well. It's watching her eyes as she's like, okay, and then I'm going to do this, and how will I do it? It's, it's, that scene really worked for me. I really enjoyed it. I love that scene because if you listen to our Scream 1 podcast, you know I had the problem of they started stabbing each other before they killed Sydney. Mm-hmm. Here, she does it right. She kills her partner because she wants to be the only one, which we kind of thought Billy might be doing to Stu. Yep. Then she stabs Sydney. Of course, I don't understand why a psycho killer would only stab her cousin once. Uh, and in the she stomach. She did it twice, I thought. One stab in the gut. One impale. That was hmm. it. And I'm like, you gotta keep stabbing the bitch. And I I knew Sydney wasn't gonna die because it was just the one wound. We'd already had the fake out with the Gale stabbed in the shoulder. I felt it was too much. But I liked seeing what basically Billy would have done had it worked. Yeah. It was nice to see that and to go that extra step because the motive is, uh, at this point, we're just like Scream 1. Again, I don't know if Williams is trying to be clever or uninventive, but it was the two together trying to frame somebody else, going to wound each other, be the sole survivors or survivor, but to see the actual injury. And I saw her eyeing the picture and I'm like, why was she staring at the picture? Does she not like the picture? And then she runs her own head into it. Yeah, I, was, I saw that coming yeah. when she's staring at it. That's great. Great, though. I thought it was it was an effective physical comedy bit. I really enjoyed this moment. Yeah, I did. And you know what? You say you didn't know that Sydney was dead. I honestly thought it could have been part of Nev's contract that if I'm coming back, this really is it. A Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween 8 kind of moment of like, I'm out of here. I really think that they could have killed her in this moment and had Dewey and Gale bring the justice at that. Before she was stabbed and when she was going to be stabbed, I thought they could kill her. I really did. And likewise, earlier on, I thought they could kill Gail. I thought, what's the point of bringing back all three, just having continued to the next one? They're obviously, like we said earlier, they're probably getting tired of it. It took 11 years for them to want to come back in the first place. Kill one of them. Make it easy for everybody to kill one of them, probably Sydney. The audience audibly gasped at that moment. There was a collective realization that she was not going to live. I didn't think they were going to kill her at all. None of them were going to die. We know Dewey has superhuman strengths, and no matter what you do to him, he bounces back with no ill repercussions because his limp is gone now. Well, he's had 11 years of rehab. And this is a series that likes to mix it up. You can't say that they're not above killing major characters. They killed Randy. And Liev. Yeah, they'll do it. The fact is, this is the only one where they haven't killed a recurring character. Yeah, it is. You're right. And it's a surprise. It felt kind of wrong. I just didn't think these three would die. I felt like one of the three would and should. And the fact that they didn't is a misstep. See, I thought the whole time that they were setting it up to maybe have one of the three actually be the killer, because that's not what the audience would suspect. And finally, they're going to put this entire movie series to bed with, like, Sydney had become the killer and made maybe Mrs. Loomis go crazy and maybe Roman go crazy to make them confess to it or something something because look anything's possible but i I would have gone with that too i would have gone with one of them being the killer and i kind of thought it and i thought two of the three dewey has no motive and dewey's just too doofy a guy do you notice they brought back that little western theme too in the score a little bit they kind of called back to it but 
I felt like Gail had a motive. She's gone crazy being in small time, small town. And I felt Sydney had the motive of I've been through this so many times I've gone crazy. It could have been one of them. But then they would have died because Scream always kills its killer. Okay, but see, I don't think that Gail would have killed anybody because she's trapped in the small town. See, I was thinking she would have killed to re-energize her career because she had writer's block. But she herself was attacked. I mean, she would have to be in on it with somebody else in order for that I to agree. work. Oh, oh, yeah. But, I mean, I could see how Gail could have a motive. I ruled out Gail pretty early. Maybe before I walked into the movie theater, I thought maybe Gail was the killer, but not the way that this story unfolded. But for at least half of this movie, I really thought it would have been interesting to have Sydney supposedly gotten over the trauma of the past and really gone completely crazy and psychopathic. I think that could have been fun. They didn't need to do that, but it could have worked for me. I do agree with Arnie. One of them should have died for whatever reason, it needed to have that kind of impact. I needed for them to go to that level. And it just, they didn't. They chickened out. And I I didn't think that of Scream. I didn't think Scream would wuss out. So what about the final fight in the hospital? Uh, I was having an unfortunate recollection of Black Christmas, the reboot. Me too. Me too. Right down to the defibrillator. The, it was one climax too many. Because, and they even say that in the movie. It's like you thought it was the party and then you thought it was the house. I was getting exhausted from this movie at this point. Yeah. I had been finding the movie tedious for a good 20 minutes before we had reached this. You know, and the whole reveal about Gail being stabbed in the shoulder and Jill knowing that, that was on the news. And the killer called somebody and told him to turn it on. They didn't say exactly where her injury was, did they? No, but see, we didn't know that. There was no, you know, this information's only been released to the killer or anything. I, I knew. I knew. Because how would she have known it was the shoulder? When she said the shoulder thing, I'm like, oh, you just gave yourself away. Okay, but Kirby was at that party, too. So I'm like, okay, this is another one of their Scooby-Doo endings. It's a bad right. It's, however you slice it, it's a really dumb thing. I hated it. I hated the fact that she, I mean, it's just so obvious. Like, it could have just been enough that it was going to be her and Nev. You know what I mean? Did they, we really need to have a climax that involved Gail, Dewey, and this deputy, Judy? I didn't want any of them in the climax. I felt like it was really about the star and the starlet in training. I really felt like it should have been their fight in the hospital room. I agree. Dewey and Gail always come in at the end. Nev mm-hmm. always gets the assist. I knew they were coming. I didn't expect the deputy. That one no. threw me. I'm like, oh, yeah, her. They needed her, I guess, if they were going to put her in the beginning. But uh, again, this character was just a red herring. She was meant to be a suspect early and then dropped. I definitely didn't need her at the end. And I thought she was shot in the head. So when she hops off. Yes. Yeah, I did She too. was shot in the head. Thank you for calling that out. Because I'm like, no, she was shot in the head. And then she's saying, I had a bulletproof vest. And I'm confused. Yeah, I thought it was a headshot. It she was. was behind like a bed. Yeah. I, I think that that was something of rewriting again. I think that that is something that was redone. When I see the defibrillator, I'm like, please don't weaponize the defibrillator. Please tell me I'm wrong <laughs> and thinking you're going to weaponize. Oh, shit. She's charging the defibrillator. Okay, but here, let me ask you something. Now, if you were presented with a defibrillator, would you know how to use it? No. No. I, I assume that there's a button <laughs> and it's going to produce some jewels. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. I, I don't know that given the pressure of a killer 
standing there with a gun on me, I could... But that's not even the point, Marjorie. It's not that it's implausible. It's that it's a weak way of getting oh, rid of it someone. Is. It's not even as satisfying as a movie kill. It just looks dumb. Uh-huh. I wanted it to be a cool kill, whether it would have realistically happened or not. And that's just dumb. Yeah. And I was loving the girl-girl fight there, where Nev starts thumbing her eyeball. I was like, oh! Yeah! That's what it should have been. It should have been their fight. I really, really think it was wrong to drag in the other characters. I know that they always are there, but do you have to do everything the same if the new rules are that there are no rules and that anything could happen? You really don't have to have them. If it plays better, Nev against little Julia Roberts. Yeah, but saying that the rules are there are no rules is false because you always know that Mm -hmm. the rules are a part four is watered down retread. <laughs> I I agree. That's what they don't want to say is that part fours just generally are not good. Well, they're a reboot. They're not a part four. That's what they're claiming. But they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They are wrong. And I guess that leaves Marjorie Stewart. Do you recommend Scream Four? Marjorie. No, I honestly can't recommend this whole series. The whole series just keeps getting crazier and crazier and not in a good way. Wait, wait. So you're saying this one's worse than three? No, no, no. It is better than three. I'm not going to. No, 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 no. In fact, you'd probably be better off just skipping three altogether. And if you're going to see four, just don't. You don't have to see the whole thing. It's okay. Just listen to our podcast. You'll understand. I don't think it was that good. It just, I, I can't find enough redeeming in it. A lot of the characters are flat. The acting is flat. There's gaping plot holes. I think that Hayden Panettiere carried a lot of the scenes she was in because she's the only one who could act. And the other people just were kind of blah, Rory Culkin. He was not bad. While it was better than three, it was still not a good horror movie. And it was unsatisfying for a, I guess, a reboot or it's kind of a remake. Not quite sure. I think it's got some messy plot points, and I can't recommend it. Stuart. You know what? It, I had a relive of Scream 2 in that I felt like there wasn't much about this that it was reminding me positively of Scream, and it was just sort of okay. And uh, that's the hardest place to be when you're doing a review. It's like, yeah, it was passable, but... Honestly, even more than Scream 2, I felt there were inconsistencies and irritations with this movie. I was more irritated by this movie than any other installment. This is from someone that liked Scream 3, which I realize puts me in a very small minority. But I feel like this is the worst of the Scream movies. And as such, it kills me. It kills me to lead yet another series down the path to only not recommend its final installment. But I'm going to have to say weak not recommend. It just, this movie just didn't have enough. It was not a reinvention of the Scream series. It was a flop sweat coated, desperate attempt to re grab at it a decade too late. Not recommend. Hey, you know, Stuart, I honestly felt while we were going through this thing that I'm like, you know, Stuart probably normally wouldn't give this a pass. But on the last podcast, he said this could be the first four for four on a horror series for him. So I wonder if he'll go recommend on when if he's on the fence just for that. So applause for not doing that <laughs> i like to do the unexpected isn't that the rules of a, of a fourth one i i just i have to do it i it kills me and i really did weigh heavily on my thoughts of like well i would recommend that screen fans see it because they'll make up their own determinant if you've liked the other movies definitely see it but i personally didn't like it i will not recommend it for me this this theory stops as a trilogy 
Well, is it also the rule of now playing that are especially horror series where we end with a theatrical installment that we give three not recommends to that theatrical installment? <laughs> will we will we fulfill that goal? I don't know, Arnie. I'm I'm on pins and needles. I honestly don't know where you're gonna land. Well, the rules of Scream 4 are we break the rules. I recommend Scream 4. Wow. And I'm giving it a strong recommend. I say- Strong? What? Yeah. You are not giving it a strong recommend. I've been listening to what you've been saying. <laughs> I'm giving it a strong recommend in that, yes, it has flaws. It has problems. I don't feel they integrated the old cast with the new very well. And no. I feel like there were some underdeveloped moments. I feel like this movie could be better, but- I enjoyed myself beginning to end. And while I was sitting here going, eh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I was having a good time. Honestly, this is singularly the best time I've ever had watching a Scream film since seeing the original in theaters back in 96. I think you just explained a lot because we often have a discussion in our household about why you watch movies that are so bad and you trash these movies you watch and think that they're bad, but yet you continually watch them. But apparently you have fun watching bad movies. <laughs> I want to just say, Arnie, if you're strongly recommending the movie, uh, you never would have gotten that from listening to what you had to say about it. Didn't you just say that it was watered down? Yes. Apparently you like water. Are you dehydrated? <laughs> he actually hates water, so that's a rather ironic statement. <laughs> I don't know, Arnie. You keep saying strong recommend, but I, I know I agree, Marjorie. This is Arnie's trait. He can have a hundred problems with the movie and still love it if it delivers on the emotional thrill. And it sounds to me like you were nostalgic for this and that it, it hit a sweet spot. It for did. You. It reminded me of all the things I liked about Scream 1. It had so many callbacks to Scream 1. And you know what? I think it's the only worthy sequel to Scream. Even though you recommended two. Even though I recommended two, it was a weak recommend. It was an on-the-fence recommend. At no point have I been on the fence about Scream 4. I enjoyed watching it from beginning to end. The opening, I thought I was going to hate it when they did Stab 6, Stab 7, Scream 4. I thought I was going to hate this fucking movie. And I ended up just enjoying it and clicking with the cast. It felt a little bit too long. Maybe, all right, maybe solid recommend instead of strong recommend. But okay. I say a solid recommend and I think people should go out and see it and if you haven't seen it and you're listening I'm sorry we've wrecked it by telling you it's Jill and Charlie but I had a lot of fun sitting in the theater and enjoying this movie. The end yeah it's got its problems we've gone through them but I had fun and enough fun where I can look past the things I didn't like. Recommend. And Breaking is, the rules. And this is why I don't let you pick out the movies normally. <laughs> On the whole, I'm still going to stick by the fact that this is probably the strongest horror series I've ever reviewed from now playing. Even though I didn't jump one to Scream 4 entirely, I can still recognize its merits, its attempts. It was close enough that I think when you look at the movie series as a whole, all four installments, this is pretty solid. I, I like the way that it deconstructs horror movies. I like the way that it can occasionally scare us, particularly in the first one. I like some of the casting and characters that come forward. And 
the comedy. I mean, I do think that that is an undersold but valuable asset to this entire series. Every single movie made me smile. And I think that that is its attribute, is that not only does Scream work as a horror movie, but it works as a comedy. And it's a good series. I know that there are some on this podcast that will disagree, but I do think it is the best horror slasher movie series now playing as ever covered. I don't think that this series did anything for me. I don't regret having not seen it when it first came out. I don't feel that I missed anything. I was a huge horror movie fan. I love Halloween, and I would go see any horror movie, but this one never interested me. I don't know if it was a cast or the trailers at the time, but I never went and saw it, and I don't regret that. I'm wondering if the thing that I cited as its asset is the thing that's hurting you, is that it's not truly horror, that it's comedy. I'd say the first three are. I think four loses the comedy, and they even say that. This isn't a comedy. This is a horror. Oh, I disagree. There's a lot of laughs here. But they weren't intentional. It's wrong to call any Scream a pure horror movie. This is a comedy. I felt like this one was the most horror of all of them. Like I say, I felt, I said this in the show, for the first hour, it felt like we were in a standard slasher flick, not a Scream flick. And I think a big part of that was the loss of the humor. I don't think it's a comedy. I think there's some wry moments, but I don't think it's a comedy. That's what I mean. You don't like this because it isn't good enough horror that it's comedy isn't. I think what I'm saying is right, that the problem for you is that this movie is not horrific enough. Then, yes, it is not horrific enough. And it reminds me of a tamed down horror movie. I I honestly think this is all about at the time they had the hot young actors and they carried that over through every single movie. I also think you just hate Nev Campbell and you are going to dislike anything she's in. Have you ever liked Nev Campbell in anything? I've never seen her in anything else. Okay. I definitely don't think you're going to. You know, I end up thinking about Scream not very often. If there hadn't been a Scream 4, I don't think there would have been anything to really make me think, I need to go back and see Scream 1 through 3. And despite the fact that I own the box set and I'm a fan of the series in theory, it doesn't hold up for me as one of the classics. And having revisited them for the first time in about a decade, they're okay, but I still feel they're very much a product of their time. And here, trying to do Scream 4 in the 21st century scream 3 didn't work in the barely edging into the 21st century scream 4 it feels like a nostalgia trip it feels like the things that made scream scream were just so much lightning striking in a moment and so when i look at the series the series as a whole is actually weaker than the sum of its parts whereas i enjoyed watching scream 1 a lot especially the first time and i enjoyed scream 4 quite a bit Two and three, two, barely three, I did not enjoy at all. But when you look at the whole series, I think that even the things that made Scream 1 good don't hold up today. And I'll kind of equate it to Tarantino because in the 90s, it was like, oh, Tarantino. And like he had four movies with his name on it in a span of a year and a half with Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, True Romance, and Destiny Turns on the Radio. And these days, Tarantino's still considered a name, but he's not what he was. He's not the powerhouse he was. And I feel like just that indie auteur 90s moment that Scream kind of tapped into as it has faded from the pop culture, so has Scream's relevance. And as such, it's more a time capsule than a great experience. I enjoy Scream 1 and 4, but as a series, it's it's okay. It's not bad. Couldn't you say that about any series, though? I mean, I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street really does well outside of the 80s. I, I disagree. I think that those movies are timeless. <laughs> okay. All right. Friday the 13th is perennial. Any year, it'll work. 
It doesn't feel like something rooted in the early 80s. See, to me, that I feel like every horror series is of its moment, and that as they play out on sequels, yes, they just become less relevant. That does seem to be the curse of the sequel. It's rare that you can reinvent something. Maybe only James Bond has done it. We'll have to do that series one day. <laughs> oh, I'll, that's I'll, a long I'll, one. Uh, I don't know that is, I want to do it that. Is. <laughs> but it's the only character that I can think of that they actually have made still seem relevant 30 years in, and that he doesn't feel rooted to a particular decade. Although, he probably still worked best in the 60s. I feel like, for me, Scream is still it, the original one. Highest of the high. I think it's as good as any horror movie we've really ever covered. And the, all the other ones are, are far less weaker. I would put three second. Mostly for the comedy. As a horror movie, it's, a, it's pretty much a failure. And and two and four are pretty much on the same plane, but it's a teeter-totter, in which two I'll give a slight pass, and four I'll give a slight not recommend. I thought four was the most enjoyable of all of them. Which is why I really thought you might give it a pass. You were hoping. <laughs> I guess I'd go four, one, two, three, because three is god-awful. Oh my god, it was just painful to watch. Miserable. See, I honestly walked out of four thinking it might be as good as the original but the more i thought about it the less that held true four is a steep fall from the original number one the best possibly could still hold up as the only but i had a good time at four it was a solid recommend one was a strong recommend four was a solid recommend two was a weak recommend and three was a not recommend so there you go one four two three okay Interesting. You know, I think it takes some time to decide whether Screen 4 is really going to fit in with the other three. We've had distance and time and multiple viewings to process those. Only history will tell whether Screen 4 is going to make the cut and, and if there will be any more sequels, I'm sure. I, again, I'll just throw it out there. I don't know where they could go. I don't know how they could escape Kevin Williamson's prediction that it just becomes irony upon irony the deeper that they go into sequels. I just don't think they can do it. I don't think there is is a story for Scream 5, even if there's an audience for it. Well, if you trust Wes Craven, they've got Scream 5 and 6 raring to go. Wow. He said that they've got plots and everything, which is, again, why I thought it would be Scream the Next Generation, so that way they don't have to worry about, please, Nev, please come back again for two weeks like you did on Scream 3. I feel like Scream could really benefit from not having Nev, and I, I just feel like it's too bad that she could be the star of the next one, because she so clearly wants to be free of it. If her storyline is to be free of the violence and the victimization, we gotta cut her loose. She's gotta get away from this. Well, I honestly think at the end of the day, based on our audience experience, I don't think that the box office is going to warrant a Scream 5. If it did and they did it, I mean, isn't another rule of sequels that the original cast gets less and less and less and now we're down to these three and perhaps the next one would be the one where you end up with one or none because that's what ends up happening with a lot of the series is you either get the one, you get your Robert Englund who keeps coming back to new cast members, maybe that would be Dewey. I could see that. I could honestly see New Woodsboro Murders and Dewey still the sheriff. And that would be the only connection is the town and the sheriff. But I don't think they should do that. I think, like I said, Scream's a product of the 90s. I enjoyed the revival with four. If they did a five, you know, I've always said Williamson was the series' greatest strength. And the one that Williamson was the least involved with was the one I liked the least. And again, this was a troubled production. Bridges may have been burned. I wouldn't want to see it without Williamson penning it. I said the same thing about four. If Williamson wasn't been back, I might not have been either. And if there was a five without him, 
and it looked totally different. Oh God, I I honestly don't think I would want to see it in theaters. I'd probably check it out on HBO, and that would be it. Because I just think that yeah, it's run its course. It's time to move on. We need the next thing. As much as it liked to make fun of Saw, Saw was the next thing, and Saw has also run its course. We are waiting mm-hmm. for the next next thing. I agree. Well, let's let, instead of commenting on what horror movies have done in the past, I'd like to see some progressive minds create a new future for it. The genre could really use some new inspiration and creativity. Some new blood? (laughs) Yeah, it really could. But if they do make a Scream 5, I hope they follow what they said they did in Stab 5 and make it a time-traveling one. That that was a good joke from that. He's like, it was all about time travel. It was really bad. Maybe they'll go to space. You know what they should do with Scream 5? Zombies. Billy's back from the dead with Stu. All the old killers come back as zombies. Yeah. Well, you know, they've got nothing else to go with. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, that's the threat of a Scream 5 is the desperation of how do they make it work anymore? I just don't know. I think where horror is going, because it's always about shocking your audience, are the things like Human Centipede. I mean, because that... But that's part of torture porn, really. That's coming at the tail end of things. That's the culmination of everything that Saw and Hostels have been doing. I don't think that's the next wave. I really don't. Well, I think that people can't be shocked anymore. Is the problem. Well, that's why it's not going to be based on shock. It will not be based on what they can graphically do to unsettle. I would love to see a return to classic suspense, to people that knew how to use the camera and craft good old-fashioned jump. That's what I want to see. I really don't care about Gork. Never have. All right. Well, Marjorie Stewart, thank you for joining me for the Scream franchise. And Stewart, you and I will be back with Jacob next week to talk superheroes with Generation X, the first installment of our X-Men retrospective series leading up to X-Men First Class this summer. Actually, Generation X may actually have me screaming more than any film in the series we just did. (laughs) I could actually see myself shrieking in terror watching all of that spandex. In the meantime, we'll be wrapping up our Jaws retrospective with Deep Blue Sea next week. Yes. I know that's not really a Jaws movie, but eh, hang it tight. (laughs) We're going to make the case. We're going to do our best. And we want to thank everyone who has donated and heard the first four installments of our Jaws series, Deep Blue Sea, coming your way. And then soon after that, we'll be releasing our three poltergeist reviews in that retrospective series. Marjorie joining us on that. And remember, $10 donation before Memorial Day will get you Jaws, $10 or more. And if the or more hits a certain amount, I'm going to tell something that I guess one listener needed to hear. It's not 10 and one penny. 1001 is not the magic number. <laughs> if you thought that extra penny was getting poltergeist, I'm sorry it didn't. <laughs> I think Arnie's always said the right thing here. It's we don't want you to give that that's above what you're willing to give. If you feel like it would be a ripoff, don't pay it. Pay what you feel like we're worth, and if it's the right amount, we will give you the extra special. It's just a thank you. Now playing is and always has been free, always will be free on Fridays. It's like a slogan I want to trademark. But for those who help support us and pay for bandwidth costs, we want to say thank you. I kind of feel like we're a show that does give back to the audience. You vote for us in the podcast awards, we do bonus shows. You help support us and help us pay our costs and pay for 3D movie tickets. Like if we were to say, see Green Lantern this summer then we want to give back. And so that's what Jaws is. And for those who give a little more, you get a little more. But we only want you to donate what you feel the show is worth. And, you know, I know what we just paid to go see Scream 4. (laughs) 
Yes, it's hair-raising. I'm shocked. I don't know that theaters can survive, and, and it's interesting. We may be entering the age, this is the first summer where movies will be debuting video on demand at the same time they are in the movie theaters. Maybe we won't have to go to the theater much longer. Maybe there won't even be theaters. Yeah, but have you seen that video on demand's $40 a piece? We need more donations. Our next retrospective series <laughs> that we do for a bonus may not be as cheap. <laughs> Good point. If I have to pay 40 to see a movie... <laughs> Then we need at least four to review it. I'm coming over to your house. That's all I know. <laughs> the airplane ticket from L.A. will be cheaper than the movie tickets in the future. I agree. I agree. That's where we're headed. So we will be back next week with X-Men Deep Blue Sea coming soon, Poltergeist. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, come to our Facebook page, our forums, or our Twitter and let us know what's your favorite scary movie. And what scary movie we should do next. I've got some ideas, but we, let's hear what the listeners have to say, too. There's quite a few coming out after we do some superhero movies and giant fighting robots first. And we'll talk to you then. discussion to be continued. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Scream Retrospective Series. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> you can listen to other episodes of this series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. If you like scary movies, then head to nowplayingpodcast.com where you can find our retrospective reviews of other horror series, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Saw, and many others. More blood, more gore. Carnage, candy. Your core audience just expects it. As well as individual movie reviews of The Human Centipede and others. Stop it, Billy, would you, all right? I can't take anymore. And you're going to need a bigger iPod. Because those of you who donate $10 or more to Now Playing will get, as our thank you, the entire Jaws retrospective series. Nice twist, huh? Didn't see it coming, did you? And if the donation is high enough, you'll also get our Poltergeist retrospective series. It's all a movie. It's all one great big movie. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. So where are you? I'm going to take the party out. These special thank you podcasts are only available to those who donate $10 or more by May 30th, 2011. So donate now. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these films with other listeners. See, we're about love, respect, and responsibility. Harmonica style is okay, right? Oh, yeah. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes, and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. So, have I covered everything? Are there any questions, any comments? You know what, though? Who gives a flying fuck anyway? Now Playing's Scream Retrospective series is edited by Arnie and Jay. Not much of a story here, just a bunch of kids cutting it loose. The Now Playing Scream opening credits are performed by Jen and Arnie. 
No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Now Playing is not affiliated with Dimension Films. The Scream Films and all of the Scream universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Dimension Films, and no infringement is intended. My lawyer liked that. That as much as I did. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Now you gotta die. Those are the rules. This is Gail Weather signing off. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some oozing to do. And we'll just do the summary. I have it written. No way. Yeah, I do. All right. <laughs> it was a much simpler plot than some of the sim- other ones. Plugged in. It was yes. it was very straightforward, and I was able to write the summary in about ten minutes. Okay, good. Well. As we get into this final scary movie, why don't we start with my plot summary? That was awkward. I set myself up for the plot (laughs) summary. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Why don't you do that? (laughs) You could do the whole thing. I'll I'll go to the next room and make lunch. After several Gail Weathers books written about her, Sydney has decided to take charge of her own image and written a book herself now about being a victim. Survivor. I, I actually I said now and I, I wrote I, I I meant to say not. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like actually the whole point is she's a survivor, not a victim. After Jill then wounds herself repeatedly. Uh, I didn't put this in. Needed eleven minutes. Yeah. Didn't. <laughs> I wrote it in ten minutes. Ah oh, shit! This don't make no sense. <laughs> I have to admit something. I have actually in my notes, and I leaned over to Arnie, and I said, who the fuck is Channing Tatum? Who is Channing Tatum? (laughs) I don't know who this person is. He's G.I. Joe. Oh, he was in G.I. Joe. That does not help me. (laughs) No, I... And I don't care who you are. I'm pretty sure my dad could identify who Snooki is. I honestly could. Oh, I, I, I only would be able to identify that SNL guy as Snooki. I don't. I would not recognize. They're Snooki. pretty much the same. Can you hear me now? No, it's getting worse. Can you say, "Can you believe in love"? Can you believe in love? After love? <laughs> Thank you. I can't remember the song. Thank you. Yeah, you know that's going on the podcast at the blooper, right? <laughs> yeah. <I think. laughs> It had wasted characters. It had unnecessary scenes. Maybe the director's cut will be better if there is one. With more unnecessary scenes? Well, maybe they'd take those out and put in... (laughs) That's awfully optimistic for someone that hated all four movies. (laughs) All right. Can I I give my thoughts on the series? Okay. I guess we'll let Arnie talk. No, no. We've said enough. (laughs) It sucked. It was all these gaping potholes. I recommend you see it. There, I did yours. <laughs> Tell us about the toy line. <laughs> that he's going to buy every single one. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a Ghostface uh, action figure or any accessory? He used to. I, I mentioned that in one of the previous podcasts that I owned a Ghostface figure. I don't remember that. Okay. Hidden Pantieri. Geek girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Pantieri. Well, the she's not French. I know you keep Pantieri. 
Here. Panettiere? No, let me get... I'm going to get the correct one because you're going to drive me nuts. I, I, I thought it was Panettiere. That's yes, a- Panettiere. Is that it? I'm, uh-huh. I'm getting it right now. Hold on, I got... that. He's right. Hayden Panettiere. No, it's Panettiere. Hayden Panettiere. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a frying pan. Okay. That's that's what I assumed, anyway. Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Panty- Panettiere. <laughs> <laughs> Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Panettiere. Pan- okay. I mean, look on uh, Wiki. I'm on the Wiki. For her, it's pan- Panettiere, is what it looks like. Oh, I have no clue what half those symbols are. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, her partner is like some big boxing guy from the Ukraine. You said partner, and I thought lesbian. Yeah, I was like, wow, like oh, a Porsche sh- over DeRossi. Han- Hayden Pantatier. No, there's no T in the middle, goddammit. What are you talking about? Hannah Tier. There you go. Not Pantatier. Oh, right, right, right. Pantatier. Hayden Pantatier. Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Pantatier. Fuck me! (laughs) (laughs) I will never get through this plot summary. No. Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes... (laughs) No, I'm scared. (laughs) Just do it as much. Aiden... (laughs) (laughs) Then you can speed it up, right? You can just fix it in both. Fix it in both. Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Panettiere. Whew. God damn it, it was supposed to be a question. <laughs> <laughs> Is it here? Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Geek Girl Kirby, played by heroes Hayden Panettiere. <laughs> 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 Yeah, get away from pant. Think pan. <laughs> Here, I have it spelled out phonetically. Yeah, and do it, do missing. it. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't help you? No, it's just coming out wrong. By bringing in Hayden, last name I can't pronounce, and... <laughs> the girl from Heroes. The girl By bringing in the girl from Heroes at... What's Hayden's character's name? Kirby. Kirby. I'm going to just start calling her Kirby. 